Welcome to the Principles of Performance podcast, where we discuss how to optimize your health, fitness, and performance. Drawing on decades of experience of working as coaches, consultants, and trainers to top performers, athletes, and teens from professional sports to top universities to the U.S. military, Eric Degatti and Mike Perry discuss topics and strategies of how to perform at your highest level and be your very best. Join us and our friends and colleagues who are leaders in the fitness and performance industry as we investigate and challenge the most popular training, nutrition, lifestyle, and recovery protocols. And away we go. Here we are. Episode number 20 of the Principles of Performance podcast. I'm your host, Eric Degatti, along with my partner in crime, Mike Perry. Mike, welcome. Good to see you, buddy. It's uh, it's always amazing to see that glowing face of yours. How are you doing today, bud? It, it's a lot to soak in, isn't it, Perry? It um, is. It's it's like a, <laughs> like a nice cup of coffee in the morning, right? Yep. So I digress. We need to get we need to get to the show here. And and it's another awesome one. Um, you know, we were joking before we we got on here and I said this podcast, even though we're we're only, you know, maybe 20 episodes in, it was kind of like I, I I started a band and then I just made a list of all my rock stars I wanted to jam with and then sent out letters and they and they said yes. And and here's here's one of them. We have a a rock star on our show today in the fitness industry and some much needed female representation on our show, uh, Geraldine Cooper Smith. She's a, a friend that we met many years ago and uh, she's held leadership roles at some major places like Equinox, Nike, Flywheel. Uh, before that, she was a personal trainer and group fitness instructor for over a decade, but she also authored her own book, Fit and Female, The Perfect Nutrition uh, and Fitness Program for Your Unique Body Type. She has extensive media background where she's been in Prevention Magazine, uh, simplify your life. She's also been on the Today Show, CBS Morning Show, Fox and Friends, Dr. Oz, a legit superstar, Geraldine Cooper Smith. So excited to have you with us. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Good to see you both. So the first thing I want to do is thank you because um, not only for being on the show, but whether you know it or not, you are actually a big inspiration for Mike and I to start the project of Principles of Program Design. And the way it came about was we were down at FMS headquarters and we were doing a virtual course and, and doing a, their podcast. And we were talking with Lee Burton and he happened to have just had a conversation with you. And he said, you know, I just talked to General Lynn and she said, the biggest thing she sees is like trainers just don't know how to write programs. They know some stuff, but they, they don't have any idea what they're doing in terms of programming. So, so tell us a little bit about how you see that in our industry and kind of what made you say that and, and sparked all this. Yeah, I, I think we still haven't cracked the code. And I've been doing this since 1991 or two. And I thought there'd be this time where we'd get the certification that would, you know, do it perfectly. I think you guys, maybe you guys have cracked that code finally, but like we're getting to a place where everybody has great ingredients, but it becomes this total mess when you put them together because there's not real um, hand-holding usually when people are trained in how to apply all these things. And we've been talking about this for years. This, I'd see a lot of people with FMS have all the tools to do the screen and score you. And you see this all the time, I'm sure. And then 
you're looking at the program and you're like, wait, that's the program you came up with after seeing that screen? There's a disconnect there and it frustrates Lee and Gray, I know a lot. And so it's always been a thing. It's like, how can we be very, you know, and I think this is great that you guys are doing this work. How can we really, it's not serving our, our um, people in our industry to also to set them out into the world and say, you have all the tools with your certification when they oftentimes don't, you know, that's, it's really doing them a huge disservice. So for someone to come in and say, here's what we do, here's how we can guide you through, here's how we're going to make it actionable and practical. I think, you know, that's going to be game changing for the industry because it, it's, it's a big hole and it's since the nineties, it really hasn't been, you know, taken care of. So kudos to you both <laughs> making it happen. <laughs> Yeah, we're, we're trying our best on that. So uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about sort of the fitness industry in general. So, you know, when COVID hit, the fitness industry was just absolutely turned upside down. Um, some of the stats say that mm -hmm. we've maybe lost over half of the workforce and that more than half of the trainers mm -hmm. are, are new to the business. Um, how do you see that mm -hmm. affecting the level of service available for people looking for gyms and trainers and coaches? Yeah, well, in the conversations I've had with a lot of people in the industry, they're really struggling to identify and hire good talent in, as you know, coaches and trainers, because to your point, a lot of them are either successful and managed to hold it together during the pandemic, or they're brand new, really still cutting their teeth and not ready to jump in and do a lot of the things that they're expected to do. So we're definitely in a, a weird moment. I'm heartened by the fact that from, if you read club industry and some of these other things that they talk about the fact that people are actually coming back to facilities and in real life. And even though hybrid is now a thing that I think we're gonna have and should have moving forward, I, people are coming back. So I think the industry's in a good spot, but there's definitely this weird moment of who's gonna stay out of the industry and not come back and decide that they do wanna work at that car dealership after all, even though it might've been a survival job at some point, or are these people that are new gonna be able to step up and fill a lot of the roles? But it's, it's definitely a weird moment where I don't think we've landed yet. Now, something we're gonna to touch on later in terms of things that we see that works and doesn't work is one of the things I did notice is coming out of COVID, the places who did actually almost better after COVID were places with a really strong sense of community. Um, and so people who were just locked in their houses were just dying for human connection. If they had a really strong kind of tribe going and kudos to, to my partner here, to Mike at Skill of Strength is that they had that. And Mike, you were busting at the seams, you know, uh, when they started lifting some of the restrictions because of that type of community atmosphere. So um, Mike, you, you jump in first and then I want to hear Gerilyn's take on that. Yeah. So, you know, we were, well, we were pretty lucky and, and, and I guess maybe our luck was part of the way that we chose to run our business and, and follow through with the decisions we made. But, um, you know, one of the things that we, um, we always preach at our facility is, um, you know, like life is unpredictable, you know, and we always preach the idea of you can mm -hmm. do hard things. And, um, you know, when we, when, when COVID hit, it was just another hard thing. And, but we wanted to, we wanted to walk the walk and, and, uh, we decided that, Hey, um, you know, we're going to support our members to, to the best of our ability. And, um, you know, right when COVID hit, we, we, we rented out equipment, we put together within a week, like 25 to 30 online courses for people to take that were live. We recorded videos that people could download and, and they could take on their own. And we did everything that we could. And, and the beauty of that is 
our members saw that we were doing literally everything that we could to keep our business alive, but also service them the best way possible. And we were very, very transparent about that process. And I think they understood that, hey, look, these guys, they're, they're doing everything everything they can. They're, they're lending out equipment. They're trying to follow the rules. They're, they're following all the safety protocols. And I think that when your clientele see that you're doing everything you can to give them the best experience possible based off of a crappy situation, I think they want to support you because at the end of the day, when all the restrictions were lifted, they wanted a place that they could go back to. And I think that was one of the main reasons why we were so successful throughout the entire uh, sort of COVID process, because um, we cared and we did literally everything that we could do to try to just take care of our clients. And um, we were very, very fortunate to, to survive through COVID and, and uh, we're thriving right now. And, and I think a big part of that is just due to our, 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 first of all, our coaches that have been phenomenal throughout the years, but just our members who, who really believed in what we're trying to do and, and did support us through thick and thin, even though it wasn't the normal scenario, but they were very understanding and we were very transparent. And I think through that sort of relationship, um, people understood what we were going through and they wanted to support us. Yeah, I, I that totally makes sense to me. The, the organizations big and small that I saw that didn't do so well during the pandemic were to your point, organizations that didn't pivot quickly, that were either some of the big organizations were mired and we need to do this perfectly and we need to you know, have high production values and recordings that we do and, and filming, we have to the right this and that. And the big and small organizations that I saw that were successful and are still successful today on the other side of that did exactly as you said. They did the Zoom call where the, the you know, the kept fritzing out and then they would have to come back and, you know, sorry, guys, we, we lost you for a second. But it was a moment we were all trying to figure it out. So there was a lot of, like you said, forgiveness and tolerance of what in a pre-pandemic world would be like, this is not even professional. People didn't care. They knew everybody was trying to figure it out as they went. And to your point about the spirit of that and wanting to serve people despite a bad situation or in a bad situation, I think engendered a lot of loyalty and kept that community aspect going even when we were disconnected from each other. I know that I had a very, well, yoga studio that I went to a couple times a week that I loved that shut down during the pandemic. And they went online with these Zoom classes that were kind of wonky. We couldn't hear the music. We were all putting our playlists on at the same time. We were trying to figure it out. But just the, the fact that we were able to stay connected, it really, it kept something going even when we couldn't be together. So I think that's really smart. And I think people do appreciate the willingness to serve them at all costs, even when you're not quite sure how that's gonna look and what you're gonna do, but the, the willingness and the, and the desire is there. That, that means a lot to people. So you talked about um, hybrid training and uh, where that has its place right now. And obviously there's, there is a, a demand for it and, and just look at Peloton and what they've been able to do and some of the other companies similar to that. Um, talk about where you see hybrid being a solid piece of the future of the fitness industry. Yeah, I think hybrid for years, in at least in corporate settings, they've been talking about omni-channel, you know, always on. That's this idea that there's apps and there's streaming. And I think pre-pandemic people didn't really buy it. I don't know that the fitness professionals fully bought it. And I really don't think the consumer fully bought it. But after that, people see that this is a viable option. Maybe not always what you want, but definitely valuable. And also 
useful in that you run out of excuses when all you have to do is go into your bedroom and jump on a bike or turn on a fitness mirror and you know of, of like i work for a company called form we have a connected fitness platform and all i have to do is walk into my bedroom press the screen and i can do a live one-on-one -on -one training so there's a lot there that's useful you can extend what you're doing in the live space you can bring people in who wouldn't maybe go to the live space who might be intimidated maybe this is a way for them to get their foot in the door you can make uh, situations where years ago when I used to train in New York City, when I uh, the uh, summer would come, all my clients would split and they'd go to the Hamptons. And so I went three months without revenue. This was like, you know, back in the in the 90s. And these days I would say, well, you know, buy a form and we're going to train that way. Or, you know, we'd have another scenario that wasn't at our disposal because the tech wasn't there. There's a lot of power in that in um you know in being able to either keep people consistent and or bring people in that wouldn't even one of the things that we're doing in a beta in our, our company my husband and my son are, are our beta test subjects among others in the company and they're like this is really good and they're both gym rats and they do their own thing but they never my husband is a personal trainer so we never think we need coaches <laughs> and my son you know is a jock and so he doesn't think he needs a coach anymore because he was in the weight room for football or whatever but now you know they see this value of like this brought my game to a whole new level they showed me stuff about myself I didn't know and it was just another they wouldn't have walked into a facility right now but now they may walk into a facility and know that they could also benefit from coaching even if they're relatively sophisticated in their, in their, you know, their training. Um, so I think there's a lot there and I don't think it's an all or none, but I just think it's a nice continuum to give people something for where they are in their fitness journey or in their day-to-day -day life. It's interesting because, you know, out of these challenges, some, some of the best ideas come out of it and they, they end up being blessings. And, and one of the things that's been a project I've been working on is I, I've been working with this company, FitBud, to develop an app that's that's a white-labeled app that's all mine. And um, at first, I was the trainer who who uh, was skittish about it, being that I've always been face-to-face -face with people for the, almost 25 years, and how am I going to scale myself into this app? And then I, it hit me as I was doing it that when I had my time working with the Giants, that towards the end, every player had it, uh, a tablet right? Whether an iPad or, or um, something like that. And, and what they would do is walk into the weight room, they'd have their workout, they'd log their workout all on the tablet, and then the coach would then review that and then update it. And really the beauty is in the program. And if it's good enough for, for a Super Bowl winning team, it's probably good enough for the high school athlete. It's probably good enough for, for the person at home just looking for a workout. So I, I think that there's, there's things that we can get that are, that are good things out of this. And then um, along that route, We've we've been doing this a while, all of us here on on the show, and we've seen a lot of things come and go. And I I think what we don't do enough is in retrospect think about what was good that we can learn from some of these things, and what is uh, some of the things that we could probably leave out. So the example I give is curves, right? And for the people who don't remember curves, it was this mm -hmm. yeah. uh, a station. Yep. It was a station based circuit of machine biased uh, exercises. And it was driven specifically to a target market for women. And it kind of came and went because mm -hmm. there were certainly flaws in, in it, but they also did a really good job of bringing in an audience that otherwise wasn't walking into gyms and creating that kind of community in a place for them. They just, their deliverable wasn't really that great. So give me an idea of some of the things you've seen along the way where they had a really good idea or some good concept that we can steal, but just maybe change the deliverable of the execution. 
I mean, I think a lot of the places like um, CrossFit boxes and a lot of uh, some of the boutique fitness places, I won't name names, but I'm thinking of a few, they have great energy in a room and in many ways, a good experience that's really close to being tailored for the individual, but they haven't gone that extra, extra step to do any kind of assessment. They haven't done that extra step to really tailor the group exercise programming for that individual. So they know what they do when everyone else is doing a squat, they have a regression or whatever, whatever it may be. So I think there's tremendous still runway and companies are trying it and I think they're getting better, but I don't think at scale, too many places have done it. Alan and Rachel come to mind as, a, as a, an individual box that have done a really good job with it. But I don't think a lot, and of course, Mike and Mike Boyle and a lot of others, individual players have, but at scale, I don't think we've done a great job. And that's disturbing to me because you think of the number of people that some of these businesses are touching. I think of one of the ones that I went to recently that's pretty well known, and I hadn't been to one before, and I went and there was no coaching, no coaching. It was literally bicep curls for a minute. And no indication about what those should look like, no making adjustments and the people in the room were doing things with horrific form, everybody working as hard as they could. And you're thinking, wow, this is really scary. Thankfully, most of the people in the room were like 25, so hopefully they're not doing that much damage. But it's, it's, uh, it's disturbing sometimes when you look at how that scale can affect so many people. And then those people, who knows, they might get injured and not come back into fitness. So I think to be able to take people where they are and bring them through those really great cultural journeys with integrity is a huge potential because people are hungry for that group experience, but they also don't want to get hurt. I'm, I'm glad that you mentioned CrossFit because it's an easy mark for a lot of people that they like to dump on and say, oh, you know, people go to CrossFit, they're going to get hurt and so forth. But what they also miss is something that they brought to the fitness industry that was really kind of revolutionary and that up until that point, for the people who were there before that, a lot of general fitness was go in, you work down the line of machines, do three sets of 10, go up on the treadmill, hang on the edge of the treadmill and walk mindlessly for half an hour and go home and do it again, which that monotony drives a ton of people away where they brought in calisthenics yep. and made weight training acceptable and doing a lot of those types of things that uh, weren't really present for the general fitness goer. So I think looking at that and saying, hey, there's something to that that people want. There's also something to the fact that people like to be challenged. And how do we do that? And to your point, how do we do that safely, I think is something we could take away from that. Yeah, and to learn some skills, like, like you just mentioned, not just the sitting on another selectorized piece of equipment, but being able to say, hey, I learned how to do a Turkish getup. You know, I learned how to do a muscle up or whatever your fitness level is, I think there is a lot to, to be able to have that journey and to have that goal, that micro goal within your programming is, is pretty is pretty enjoyable and, and, and keeps you, you know, engaged and it's sticky. So culture, I think, is one thing that CrossFit has definitely done right. And to your point, skill-based stuff, um, it, it's people are hungry for community and they're hungry to grow. And when you scratch those itches, you develop something that people want to come back to time and time again. No, absolutely. Um, so, you know, it's one of the, one of the things that we really try to preach at our facility here is, um, you know, I always tell people when they come and we do a sit down and in a consultation, we always, one of the things I say is our greatest asset is our coaches. Anybody can, you know, gather money up and buy a bunch of pieces of equipment, right. And, and, and take you through a workout. But 
I always tell people you're paying for the coaching. Um, and that is our greatest asset is the way that we coach and the way that we educate. I always tell people like when you come here, one of our goals is not only to give you a great experience and give you a great workout, but also to educate you. So um, if there is a day where you decide that, hey, we're not for you, you can go into another facility by yourself and, and you know what to do and you know how to do it safely and effectively. And, and I think one of the biggest misses that I've seen in the industry is um, people are getting so caught up with the newest gadgets and the newest pieces of equipment. And there's nothing wrong with technology and all that other fun stuff. But at the end of the sure. day, um, it's a service-based business and your coaches are the ones delivering the product. And, and I always tell people, our greatest asset is the coach. And, and I wish more business owners would put more stock in continuing education and trying to find ways to essentially build their coaches up to a point where they're very, very self-sufficient and they can do just about whatever they want, whether it's inside that facility or maybe to do something else on their own. Yeah. There's a lot of power in people staying with you, not because they have to, but because they want to, because they, not that they couldn't do things on their own at a certain point, but they're continuing to grow with you. They're continuing to learn from you. They trust you to take them through a journey. That's uh, that empowerment journey keeps people around for a really long time. Uh, my husband has a client he's been training for almost 30 years. She can work herself out. She's fit, but they're always trying to find something new and address a new challenge and, and give her something she didn't have before. So it's an ongoing journey. And I, I think to, to educate and to highlight the, the kind of knowledge part of it, the knowledge uh, of how to train yourself and not just make it so that they're dependent on you actually almost always serves you more than you would think. You know, it's almost uh, counterintuitive in that way. Absolutely. Um, so let me ask you this. If you were, uh, if you were a, a gambling individual and you had to say, I'm going to put my money on the next big thing in fitness, what would that next big thing be? The next big thing in fitness, I do think there will be an expansion of remote coaching. And that's not just because I work for a company that does that. Um, I think as technology gets better, it's remarkable how you can scale that and do it in a way with, that has a lot of integrity. When I work with the coach that I work with on our device here, I can be doing what I'm doing and I'll hear him say something like, can you make sure your right big toe is pressing down more? And I'm thinking, he can see that. So now it's not just a Zoom call where you know he's seeing me from the neck up and can you move the camera? What's going on down there? So I do think there's gonna be continual unlocks in technology that allow you to do your coaching better and remote. And I think that's gonna help a lot of trainers who are trying to scale their businesses because they won't necessarily have to, particularly people who have independent training businesses, because that's the world I was in for almost 10 years where you start at six and you finish at seven or eight, you're running all over town. Maybe you have four hours in the middle of the day where you take a nap at Starbucks or try to get a workout. And it's kind of a, a tough life for people. But if you could do some part of that remote or you could leverage some of those off hours to do other things, I think, first of all, you're touching more lives. And I think we're creating a sustainable um, career for people where they're not, as soon as they want to have kids or have a life of any kind, they can't keep that business going. I think technology is going to enable that. And the better it gets, the better we can deliver high quality coaching. Hey, everybody, a quick break in the action here. Hope you're enjoying the show and we appreciate you listening. 
We're working hard to bring you the highest quality content and best guests every single week. So if you could do us a big favor and go and like and subscribe to the show on whatever platform you get your podcasts on, it would be greatly appreciated. Be sure to listen at the end of the show also to find out where you can find out more information about our courses, as well as a special discount code for all our listeners. Thanks again, and let's get back to the show. Part of my prediction for, for what's uh, coming up is uh, something that I talk about in the course is the demographics of who's walking into to the gyms now. It's very, very different from when we started, right? It was a, it was a really a meathead biased type of thing where you didn't see a lot of uh, people, you know, 40, 50, 60 years old walking in gyms and you didn't see a lot of females and where now that has completely changed uh, in terms of that demographic. Uh, and then also the unique demographic, as I mentioned in the course, I said, we're at this strange crossroads where we're between two polar kind of opposites. We have an entire pop segment of our population that is extremely fragile They've been trapped in their houses and they haven't moved at all. They use their, their laptop at a dining room table as a workstation um, and they haven't gotten any activity. And so they're very fragile. We have to be you know, very careful with them, but they're having health issues that they need to address and be active about. And then on the opposite side, you got this, this group that's uh, ex, uh, really driven to the extreme stuff where when I started out, you also didn't have CrossFits, you didn't have these uh, high intensity boot camps, you didn't have, you know, people in their 40s, 50s, 60s doing triathlons and tough mutters and these things. And, but the problem is those people are all broken from doing this stuff. So you have this kind of crossroads between fragile and broken kind of talk about where you see the, the future fitness client. I think this idea of, you know, Charlie Weingroff always talks about training equals rehab, rehab equals training. I think that's going to only continue, especially with the population getting older. And to your point, the younger people breaking themselves down so that they're going to need sooner or later some more uh, skills in that regard. I think there will be more crossover and hopefully it'll be done with integrity and in the right way of people knowing when to help and when to refer out of people really being skilled at regressing or lateralizing whatever they're doing with people so it's appropriate. I think for people to, to feel that they can be successful irrespective of where they are and because they're under the care of somebody who understands this continuum of care of which fitness is one part, but maybe not the starting part for, point for a lot of people. I think that's only gonna continue. I, I see that my my mom is uh, in independent living now in one of these facilities and there's a lot of people there that want to work out and for the most part I think they're doing an okay job but then she'll tell me sometimes some of the programming I'm thinking oh maybe not you know it's good that they're moving but they just have this local person coming in teaching a version of the class that they teach at the Y maybe well intended and they're doing the best they can with the knowledge they have but there's a huge chunk that they could be doing. Hopefully they're not hurting these people. So far my mom's fine. Um, but you wonder how much they could be helping these people beyond just giving them a workout. And I, I don't think it's for lack of caring. I think it's for lack of awareness. And it's a blind spot that I think is still really, we live in a special magical world where we all know each other and we all have the same language, but I think there's a lot beyond our unicorn and rainbow world that it just doesn't even know that they don't know, you know, and that's, that's what's scary because those people are touching a lot of lives. 
Absolutely. And uh, let's let's dig a little bit deeper on that, because, um, you know, I think, like Eric said, traditionally, it was, you know, the meatheads or the, the jocks going to uh, to the gyms and, and training, etc. But now what we're starting to see is, like you said, there's there's sort of this larger umbrella in which you're starting to see gyms offer things like, um, you know, they have, you know, psychologists come in and work with with people. They, they have, mm-hmm. uh, you know, clinicians working with individuals. Um, there's a lot more knowledge of athletic development and et cetera and stuff like that. So um, do you see that based off of, you know, the, the most recent trends that gyms are going to um, maybe put themselves in a little bit better position because they're offering other things besides just lifting weights and sweating, right? I mean, I think offering just overall more total, total care is, is something that I see as the future, but um, how do you feel about sort of gyms offering stuff like that? And do you think that's a trend that is going to last? I do. I, I think the right facilities will be able to pull that off. And those who are just jumping in to, to make a quick buck, buck and have an extra ancillary service, maybe not so much. But I think gyms that are doing it, big facilities that are doing it with integrity are going to have a lot of runway because people are coming to them for different reasons. Maybe it is stress management and the workout alone is not the thing. Maybe there's a big nutritional component. We know there's you know, a lot of, we have a serious obesity problem. People aren't really clear of what they should be eating or even when they are clear, they need behavioral support to continue to, to do what they know they need to do. Um, so I think any place where you can fill those gaps, either by upskilling the current staff or bringing in additional staff that has specific training in that, you're going to be that much more helpful. I think sometimes we just stay in our lane too much. That's the flip side of like, you know, staying in your sphere of practice is sometimes we don't expand our skill set just a little bit, not to go outside of it, but enough that we could give a little bit of help and counseling. And then if it gets too far, then we know when to refer out. But I, I think people are looking for a more we we'll always hear the word holistic, but I don't think that's going away anytime soon. People are curious about how to live better, healthier, feel better in every aspect of their lives. And to the extent that we have the tools to do that, I think we'll be continue to be more successful. To your point, I think part of the challenge is for the end user who's finally gotten up the, the guts that they want to get engaged and take charge of their health is that they have a pretty wide continuum of what they have offered to them. So you have, I, I, I like to say on one side, you have people that get too much credit. Like when people walk into a, a, um, a supplement store and they're gonna take on faith some supplements from a, a kid that got that job yesterday and it was only that job because the gap didn't call him back for the original job he applied for. Like it, it is right. just a pure fitness enthusiast, but he's, right. giving, you, he's giving you advice on your health and people aren't vetting that in any way, shape or form. Um, but on the flip side, like you said, I think some of us don't give ourselves enough credit in terms of the, the actual, the unbelievable impact that we can have. And for the end user to vet out the difference between walking into to, to Mike's place, one of his coaches, or walking into a big box uh, place with just some kid with big biceps and a tight polo shirt, like how, did, how does that end user start to filter through that? It's hard. And I don't think our certifications really mean anything to the lay people for the most part. If they hear someone's a trainer, most of them don't even ask to know to ask, are they certified? And then if they do ask, are they certified? They don't know enough to say by whom and get some information. So 
we have a long way to go in educating lay people because educated lay people, educated um, consumers are our best consumers in this world because we can, to your point, Mike, we can show our, our, you know, our skill as coaches. We can show that we're not like the average coach, uh, but if the lay person doesn't know that. And right now I think very few lay people, really educated people who are, you know, very sophisticated in many areas of their lives will say, oh yeah, he's a, he's a trainer. You're thinking, Sometimes I'll ask, oh, yeah, is he certified? Who, who certified him? Oh, I don't know. You know, like I, he got some certification. That's that's really what's ha that happens a lot more than we would think. And it's kind of terrifying. You think that the impact that these people could be having um, positive and negative on these people um, without any they may not be the right person. They may not be qualified and and lay people don't know to ask to even find out what the baseline is. Even with a great credential, you could be a lousy coach, but they don't even know to get that first thing. Like, do you have that minimal information to even deliver this service to your point? Like the gap didn't call you back. So now you're here. <laughs> or even scarier when the, the qualification is something they did themselves in their past. Oh, I, I got this trainer. He was Mr. New Jersey or, you know, he played in the NFL and he must know yeah. what they're doing. And, and, and trust me, I've worked with a lot of NFL athletes and I wouldn't let them near anybody to train them just because they were really, really good at football. Right. So um, exactly. They, a lot of people assume that if I work for me, it's going to work for my 80 year old client. That's not always the case. No, no, it is certainly not. So uh, I know we're getting up towards the end of it with time, but, but we definitely have more stuff that we want to pick your brain about. Mike, what do you have that that's stirring in your brain that you want to ask Geraldine and, and kind of talk about this, the stuff we've been talking about? Well, you know, it's just, it, it, you know, we were talking about sort of the holistic approach and, um, you know, I think it's so important for, for coaches to understand psychology, to understand, um, mm -hmm. you kind of put the empathy, right. To really understand what that means. And, uh, you know, as someone who's been through, you know, some, some stuff in the last few years with my health and with cancer and everything, um, you know, one of the things that I did was, uh, you know, I started going to counseling because, you know, you go through cancer, you get diagnosed and you become a cancer survivor. And it's a, it's a crazy, it's a crazy path and a crazy journey. And um, there's a lot of stuff that goes along with it. And I actually think that, you know, going through counseling and really sort of understanding how my brain works and understanding all of the stuff that comes with that has made me a better coach. And I never would have thought initially that that would have been something that would have positively impacted my coaching career. But I can honestly say that through that experience, um, it's actually made me way more of a better coach than, you know, taking a, a course on energy system development or, you know, learning more about tissue remodeling and all that other stuff, right? I mean, that's important. And that's the stuff that, you know, I enjoy, right? But I've learned more just through um, my own journey and, and sort of trying to figure out my own path when it comes to, you know, health and wellness and, and dealing with stuff like that. So um, I actually think that, um, this holistic approach, especially working with a therapist and counseling and everything that people went through from COVID, right? Because COVID screwed up a lot of people as well. Um, I think that a lot of people need to really dive into the mental health side of things because um, if that's not dialed in, all the other fitness stuff, it, it, it really doesn't make a difference. Totally. I 100% agree. You're speaking to the right audience here. My undergraduate degree is in psychology. My master's is in exercise science, but my undergrad in psychology, I thought I wanted to be a psychologist. I've had a lot of therapy and I believe in it. And I do think a lot of people who end up in 
fitness really need a therapist. It's not either or, but it's usually an and. And they're more comfortable thinking about fixing the physical than dealing with the the, psych, the psychosocial, emotional stuff that might be going on. And that's usually the driver of a lot of choices they're making in the rest of their lives that aren't great. You know, overeating the wrong stuff, drinking too much, whatever it may be, uh, to any kind of self-abusive behavior. And they come to training to sort of fix that with a trainer who's not qualified to do that. I've also as a as a trainer myself, I've had people who started to use me as a, as a psychologist, and I'm you know I have an undergraduate degree, but that qualifies you to do nothing in psychology, and they you know kind of leveraging that relationship in ways that may or may not be a, a, appropriate. You want to be there. It's that balancing act between uh, high EQ and really being there for them and having empathy and being able to support them. But then there's a place of which they have some real childhood wounds or, or personal situations going that are beyond what you can help them with. So there is a, sometimes an intersection where people are there for the wrong reason. And it's, it's hard sometimes to get them into the right lane to address that part of it, because it's probably not squarely in our camp. But at the same time, this is, is something that, um, that when Mike and I were starting to put together the framework of the, of the course, and obviously when people think of a program design course, they're obviously thinking reps and sets and exercise selection mm -hmm. and that sort of stuff. And, and we said, the, the, before we ever get to that stuff, there's a lot of things that we need to, to figure out first. And so the, the, the whole first section of the course is, is talking about building client rapport and trust and communication and building, we have a whole section called the key questions of saying, like, if you don't ask some of these things to your people, you're going to completely screw up their program. Like if you don't ask like some of their uh, ways that they've been successful in the past, do they have any certain apprehensions or fears uh, towards certain types of exercise, finding out what is it that they do all day? Uh, what are some of the things that are the, the, you see as the biggest obstacles that could hold you back? Um, if you don't find out those things and then you find out that this person hurt their back you know, swinging a kettlebell five years ago and that's what scared them off of the gym and the first thing you do is hand them a kettlebell, you have failed miserably and it's not the kettlebell's fault. Totally. Yeah, totally. You have to know as part of that initial intake, what worked for them in the past, if anything, and what absolutely didn't work. Because a lot of times we try to stuff a diet down their throats of things that we think are good that they're not interested in, in consuming. And a lot of the, I think a lot of young coaches make that mistake of, well, I learned this and this is the way we should do it. Okay, but this person hates that and they're not going to do it. Little things too, sometimes like getting down and up from the floor, you know, some clients really have an adverse reaction to that. So that might not be the client that you do Turkish get-ups with because it might not be, they probably do need to do a Turkish get-up. And yet it's, you know, how are you going to get them bought in to your point about, about trust uh, and belief in you as a coach, it's not going to be to start there. I believe in most cases you can take with an emotionally intelligent approach. You can take that client who told you, I'm never doing that, looking at someone doing a Turkish getup. And five years from now, they might be doing it and really proud of what they could do. But I don't think people necessarily look at the whole journey from the, the point of view of where is this person now? What is this person likely to do? How can I guide them through it in a way that's not going to turn them off from me or from fitness in general? And I think that's huge that you guys are are putting that up front because it's it's often right to sets and reps and the Krebs cycle and our clients don't care about those things at all. 
And then you have these little moments in life where you have this realization of what of a bubble that we really are in. Yeah, I just went to get uh, recertified for my CPR last week. And they put us into to groups to do the hands-on part. And I had two guys in my group that were, and they were maybe a couple years older than me, but not significantly older. And neither of them could get down to, to the dummy to do CPR. And like, they were very, you could tell they were very uncomfortable and very embarrassed by it. And, and uh, oh, they were joking, oh, my bad back. Oh, and they were kind of laughing it off. But you could tell like that for them was definitely one of those moments. And Mike, you talk about it in the course, like one of those moments, like, damn, like shit, I got to get some, I got it. This can't happen anymore. And that may be the thing that right. gets them to show up at your door. And you got to know how to capture that moment in the right way. So Mike, kind of, if you want to just pick up on that and, and uh, add any final thoughts from there. No, I, I think, um, you know, every person has, there's, there's some sort of catalyst, right? When it comes to their decision-making, the why. And mm. um, I think understanding their why is, is very, very important. And I think we can use their why in a positive way and not in a sleazy snake oil salesman way and, and throw it back against them. Because a lot of salespeople, that's what they do. You know, they, they tell you to use that as ammunition. But I think what we can do is if we can, if we can really learn about their why, and then we can walk with them through that journey and, and show empathy and show that, listen, we're here to help you. Like, we're not just here to make a quick buck. I think that's one of the best things you can do to you know, establish your rapport, but also understand that, like, listen, like, we're not, this is just not a, a withdrawal from your bank account. This is not just a financial transaction. This is, this is a journey that we're going to hopefully walk together. And, um, you know, for me, I think that's the most important thing. And I think when it comes to growing your business, I would rather have a hundred clients that we know we're doing the right thing for than trying to do this big, crazy marketing scheme and just bringing people in to add a few more dollars to the bottom line, because um, to me, I feel like it's it's the right way to do things and it's the ethical way to do things. So, um, you know, but it, it really does start with yeah. establishing rapport and, and being in it for the right reasons. Um, and, uh, you know, I always tell people, listen, if you're in the business of coaching, you, you really should be doing things that are going to be in the best interest of your clients. And you want to have a positive impact on on their lives, because at the end of the day, we do have the opportunity, really the opportunity to change people's lives. And it sounds dramatic, but listen, I mean, I've, I've seen some pretty cool things happen from people that um, they never would have expected it. And, and, you know, we talk about PRs and we talk about lifting this, but, you know, when you have someone that said, hey, you know, I had a stroke two years ago and you taught me how to get off of the ground without using a door or a cane, like that's the good stuff, right? That's the cool stuff. So for me, it's, it's about having the skill set and having the passion to really help. And um, if, you, if you approach your fitness career and, and sort of with that approach, I don't think you'll ever have an issue with finances. And I don't think you ever have an issue with client retention and gathering new clients because you're doing it, in my opinion, out of the right place. 100%. One of my friends who did very well in this industry, he said, we have the greatest job in the world because we get paid to care about people. And I think that's completely true. And it's been one of the biggest honors in my career, the impact that I've had on, on people that I didn't even know into the point of, you know, one of my clients asked me to be a bridesmaid in her wedding. And 
and I was just her trainer. We didn't hang out socially, but I was such an important part of her journey that she wanted me there. So, you know, those kind of things. I found out my clients were pregnant before their husbands did because they took a pregnancy test in the bathroom at the gym, you know, all kinds of milestone moments that we're a part of. We become sometimes a person that they see more than their spouse. Sometimes it's a person they see more than most anyone if they're seeing us consistently. Um, it's uh, it's a really it's a powerful role. It's it's a it's a lot of responsibility in that role, but I find it's the most gratifying career anybody could have. Um, yeah, I'm super glad I found it when I did. And and as people can obviously hear from who've been listening to this, you have a, a breadth of knowledge that can uh, really make an impact on on somebody's ability to be successful in this industry. So I know you do some consulting and you're working with Forum. Tell us a little bit about that. And if 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 I'm the gym owner and said so that says you know I really wish I had the expertise of someone like Geraldine Cooper Smith. Tell us a little bit about what you do. Yeah, so for the last couple of years, I've been doing some consulting with uh, Perform Better, FMS, and some other clients, just to any ways that I can serve them. If it's try, if it's from a marketing lens, because I spent a lot of time in kind of a cross section between marketing and fitness, being a, oftentimes a subject matter expert in Nike. Many times, I was the only subject matter expert in the room in a marketing context. So I've given some coaching and counseling on that to organizations. I've also worked with organizations on how they can retool their learning and development, because that's what I did for 10 years at Equinox, how they can upskill their trainers in a way that's, um, you know, going to be cost effective for them, but make the most impact. So I draw from all my different experiences, which are pretty varied to serve people in any way that they, they feel they need serving. Uh, lately, I've been spending most of my time in uh, working for Form. They have a, a role which I'm working in now is uh, trying to get more people in the corporate wellness space to take in some of the, the technology that we have. And specifically in our world, it's a, it's a product called Studio, which is a mirror. And then there's an additional piece to it, which is, makes it a resistance device as well. So it can be just the mirror with this programming in it or live coaching. And then it can be the resistance piece where you can do, um, you know, any kind of resistance training similar to a functional trainer. So that's been my full-time gig. I do some consulting on the side, keeps me busy. I love it. Um, keeps me out of trouble mostly. So. Yeah. It is, uh, a, a, a great honor to have you here on the show and, and a blessing to have you as a friend and a colleague, and we can't thank you enough for your time. Um, and, and greatly appreciate it. Um, everybody, we, we hope you've uh, enjoyed it as much as we have. This is uh, wrapping up the, the episode of Principles of the Performance podcast, and we thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to the Principles of Performance podcast. If you've enjoyed our content, please like and share on your social media outlets, as well as subscribe and give us a review on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, or whatever your preferred platform is to listen to. For more information on the principles of program design courses and workshops, visit us at www.principlesofprogramdesign.com and follow us on all of the social media channels where we post new content every day. To save 10% on any PPD courses, enter the discount code PRINCIPLESPODCAST10 at checkout. If you have any questions we can answer or suggestions for the show, you can email us at info at principlesofprogramdesign.com or message us on social media. Thank you again for your support.